0: Let's talk about the work of Kriya Yoga. What is the work of Kriya Yoga? It is doing whatever it takes to align your life such that you can process consciousness clearly. It's one way to look at it. The work of Kriya Yoga involves uh, meditating regularly, meditating skillfully, regularly. And I use the term skillfully because meditation is work. It's not sitting down, zoning out, and relaxing. If you need to do that, just go take a nap. Do some full body relaxation exercises. That'll help out a lot with your health and your well-being. And it's good to have good health and well-being as long as you can. But the purpose of meditation and the work of meditation, and the work of Kriya Yoga requires that you meditate well, such that you are able to develop the ability to focus and let go of distractions, let go of distractions. And some very easy distractions to let go of are things like the noise in the environment, the stress or ease within your body, the persistent, nagging thoughts that keep coming up, those are distractions which are they're easy to appreciate, meaning you can see them, you can identify them, and say, yes, this is a distraction. So the first step often requires that you are simply training yourself to let go of those distractions so that you can turn your awareness within. That could take a while, but you have to be active about it. So you continuously return your awareness back to the meditation routines, the techniques, treating them as though they're an anchor point so that you don't have to worry about being blown around, just like the anchor in a boat. Why do you have an anchor in a boat? So you can drop it and you know that boat's not moving. No matter what waves or wind comes your way, you are there, the boat is going to be stable. So the meditation technique is there as an anchor so that you know as long as you keep focusing on that anchor you don't have to worry about what's going on around you so this is the the work of meditation and once that becomes easy once you're able to trust that anchor just like the fisherman learns to trust the anchor instead of checking it every uh, five minutes or so once you're good with the anchor of your meditation technique you can trust that anchor well now you move into a subtler stage of the process and the subtler stage of the process is learning to release attachments, not just to the distractions of the mind, the body, and various other things that your senses can perceive, but then you start directing your awareness within so that you begin to consider, imagine, appreciate, what would it be like if I was free of the attachment of who I think I am, of my personality, of my history, of uh, my preferences, my attachments and my aversions. And that's where the work becomes very subtle. And that's again where this, the idea of work is important because you're not going to get through that simply by sitting there and humming to yourself. Things are going to arise. You're going to be aware of a like and a dislike. You're going to become aware of who you think you are as a person, as this grand spiritual being, and you have to let go of that. And slowly, subtly over time, as you continue to use that anchor, you begin to recognize, oh, I exist even though I'm not defined by a personality, a mind, a body, or who I think I'm related to or what I think my obligations are. During meditation, it is the time to release all of that. And as you progress forward in the process, eventually, you start catching aha moments or glimpses of, oh, this is what it's like to experience, as Mr. Davis would say, a pure consciousness. Complete, free, alert, awake consciousness. Serene, whole. And notice I said alert and awake. That doesn't mean stressed out, like, oh, I really have to be here. I mean, present. As you've heard me say before, in the same way that when you see a beautiful sunrise, you're not forcing yourself to really focus on that sunrise. You are just there with the beauty of that sunrise. You become aware of the beauty of uh, your inner stillness or your inner peace. And in order to experience this, this is where the work of your outside life comes into play, the work of your outside life. So we've got like an interior life, which is our inner meditation, and we have an exterior life, which is when you have to interact the world, interact with the world through your mind, your body, your personality. Now, in order to be alert and poised while you meditate, what's going to be required of you in this external world. Well, you're going to have to be well-rested. You're going to have to have mitigated stress to an appreciable, to um, a level that's okay. Well-rested, minimizing stress. You have to pay attention to the foods that you eat and how they make you drowsy or how they interact with your ability to focus. So now we're starting to see why taking care of the body, taking care of what's going on around you is part of the work of Kriya Yoga, because that contributes to your ability to go within. This also goes so far as to managing the kinds of entertainment that you participate in or the people that you spend time with. The entertainment that you take in, this is not to say that you don't enjoy entertainment. This is not to say that you don't have hobbies or you don't have um, recreation. Recreation is very healthy for you, both for your mind and your body and your hormonal system. And it will help you meditate better if you have good, healthy recreational activity because you'll feel better about yourself. You'll have less stress, you'll worry less, it's wonderful. Um, But the people you spend time with, I remember this as well. You have friends, you have family who are always kind of pulling at you. Uh, this obligation, that obligation. And you've been raised to believe that those obligations are necessary. Well, it's just what's happened through childhood. But in time, as you get older, you start to recognize that um, other people are adults too, and that they have or should have the capacity to take care of themselves as adults. Now, given there will be certain circumstances where there are real emergencies, where you do need to be there for a family or a friend. But if you start paying attention to the people you spend time with, it always seems like they need something, always have an emergency. We need to start asking yourself, am I enabling them? Am I really contributing to their well-being by consistently being there when they need to learn to take care of themselves? And when you start thinking about the people in your life, you have to consider this and you have to start putting your attention towards those people which are not there to draw your attention away from your inner work or to cause you drama or distractions. It may be that you have children that you have to take care of until they're 18. Well, eventually they're going to be 18, and there you go. Let, train them well enough that they can take care of themselves so that you can focus inwardly on your own work. So the foods you eat, the people you spend time with, how you entertain yourself, Um, all this contributes to how well you can meditate. Along with that, having a healthy body as best as you can, knowing that in this natural world, there is illness, there is disease, and there is death. However, you may find that if you follow acceptable health principles, you are less likely to have problems on the health front. And if you're prone to health issues, that just might be something that you're there to deal with or that you're here to deal with. But still, the better you treat yourself, the more you exercise, the more you manage stress, the more you eat a healthy diet, maybe you will have a better ability to endure that challenge that you have in life. And we have to remember in, I believe it's the Bhagavad Gita, there is a statement that the yogi the yogi is essentially meant to endure pleasure and painful circumstances while they seek knowledge. And I say this because it doesn't say by the practice of yoga, your life becomes perfect and you don't have to worry about painful experiences anymore. It says the yogi is there to endure pleasure and painful experiences while seeking knowledge. And if we are able to do this and really get behind it, um, we will naturally begin to let go of attachment to the ego and personality, which can get in the way of deeper contemplation. Now you need an ego and you need a personality to interact with individuals in the world. It's just like the kind of car you drive. It doesn't matter what kind of car you drive. You just drive to get where you're going. Your ego and your personality acts like that vehicle to get you through as you endure and seek knowledge. So you're going to have it when you're, externalized. Um, But when you're internalized, you don't need it. And by not giving so much attention to pleasure and pain, learning to endure it while you seek knowledge, you are naturally stopping that problem of being identified with the ego personality. And it'll make it much easier for you to let go of that when you do turn within and meditate. An exercise helps you to be able to sit up straight, to be able to have the energy to do what it takes to endure the difficulties of life. Um, I've been thinking about this a lot lately and I was actually talking to, um, his name's Craig Bullock. He's the director of the Assisi Institute in Rochester, New York. Uh, We were doing a Kriya Yoga podcast and he talked about how when he was younger one of the things he found to be very helpful for him on this path surprisingly was uh, he took up amateur boxing and immediately i understood what, what he was getting at he said because when you do a sport like that you recognize that you get knocked around you get hurt you get knocked down but you get right back up and you keep going And I began thinking about that, and I began thinking about how many people who seek out spirituality are really kind of looking for that sort of comfortable zone that they can get into and stay there, when that's not going to fulfill the whole spiritual process. That's going to stall you. But if more of us were able to recognize and endure and move through and not care too much about what difficulties we have to go through. But just to do our best with them, this would also translate to our ability in the spiritual, uh, the the interior world, to continue to move forward through dry spells, through periods where just life isn't going our way. And then when we've made it to the end of our life, we would tend to recognize that, wow, we did just what we were supposed to do. So I always like to bring up this uh, notion of the yogi is meant to endure pleasure and pain while seeking knowledge. And also to tie it into um, not not being upset when things don't go your way, not being upset when there's problems with the body, not being upset when you have issues and things to work through or things break down. You just get up and you just keep going. You keep moving forward. And if you can do that, you are in in essence um, burning or assisting in the theory, the idea of burning off karma in this life because you keep moving forward. You keep doing what you're supposed to without attachment, and then whatever theoretically is supposed to come your way to be exhausted, you do it. You just keep moving forward. And this brings me to another idea um, related to the practice of Kriya Yoga in meditation, and in a sense, the purpose of life, or the purpose of this life from a spiritual perspective. And that is uh, that is the idea of failure to make progress. Now you might be thinking, what's he talking about there? Where did this come from? Uh, in the Yoga Sutras, there is a description of obstacles that you can experience. And some of them are doubt, negligence, laziness, obvious things but there's one in there that always perplexed me and that is the failure to make progress. Well, that makes sense. Of course, an obstacle, an obstacle to realization, an obstacle to anything would be failure to make progress. Cause if you're not making progress, you're not getting anywhere. But this sat with me for a long time. And finally it occurred to me, um, after talking to numerous people, listening to their stories, both people who have been on the meditation path for many, many years, as well as people who claim to have awakening experiences, um, real or otherwise, what's the problem? If we have people on these meditative paths, these spiritual paths for years, if we have people who are claiming to have these awakening experiences, Um, why Why don't we have more awakened people in the world? And it comes down to this idea of failure to make progress. And it's not as obvious as you might think. It's not just not moving forward. It comes down to this. When you are practicing meditation, as you are nurturing your spiritual growth, certain things will become obvious to you certain realizations will come forth maybe you're in meditation and just out of nowhere you have this understanding that we truly are all one that yes i have a mind body personality called ryan you have a mind body personality called grimo or um, mitch or leo or sandy but the essence of us that's peering out through that body or that meat suit uh, is really the same thing. It's really the same thing. And you have that understanding. And so now you know why it is important to practice harmlessness as is described in the yamas and niyamas. Because when you practice harmlessness, you are acknowledging the oneness of us all. and, and, And that if you have ill will or aggression or animosity towards anything, you're really having it towards yourself. And so you learn to, to kind of cut back on that. It's not just become a vegetarian. Harmlessness is intentionally wanting to harm people, places, or things, having uh, an aggressive or vindictive attitude. Because if you're driving down the road and you run over uh, a caterpillar, well, that wasn't harmlessness, but it happened, but there's no animosity and you didn't see it, you couldn't avoid it, so it, it doesn't count against you in regards to harmlessness. We don't live in a perfect world. Sri Yukteswar brought this up very clearly in Autobiography of a Yogi. But let's say you have this realization, and now you, you have a sense, ah, yes, I'm, I'm experiencing progress. I'm beginning to realize what is true. You have that realization, and it lasts for maybe three days. And on the third day, about halfway through it, you start to return to your old ways, your old personality, where you're just a little spiteful, or you don't mind eating that hamburger because you need meat, right? And um, maybe you do, but just bear with me in this discussion. And so you let it slide, and that slip up, leads to one more slip up, and then another, and then another. And then you're right back to square one. So you have that realization of this sense of oneness, even if it was subtle. And then you understood why the practice of ahimsa, nonviolence, was so important. And for a couple of days, you had it. But then you let it slide. So you're just right back to where you were. So you went up a little bit, but then you settled back down. Failure to make progress, or the way to actually do this takes attention and will and work. Because at that three and a half day point, if you were a real yogi, if you were a real yogi, what would you have done? You would have said, ah, I feel it slipping. I know I shouldn't be this little bit of spiteful where I I know I shouldn't do this certain thing. And so I don't, I'm not going to. You decide, no, I am not falling back down to where I was before. And you hold to it and you are firm in that approach. And even though the little spiteful thoughts come up or someone cuts you off and you really just want to tell them what you think, you catch yourself and you stop and you breathe and you say, no, I remember what I experienced, this oneness. I have no idea what that person's going through. I have no idea the person who cut you off. I have no idea what their level of consciousness is. Maybe they're still in an animal state of consciousness and they can't help what they they do. It's still, it's no reason to be cruel to them or, or consciously aggravating towards them. And so eventually you become so strong in that, that you stay there. Now it's just who you are. Now it's just natural to experience a state of harmlessness. And now when the experience arises, to give you an opportunity to act in a animalistic or more aggressive situation, it feels wrong. It just doesn't feel right. It's like it, just, it feels in poor taste in a way. Or let's take the idea of truthfulness. It's very easy to not be established in truth. I mean, we tell ourselves little lies all day long. It supports who we think we are, how we interact with people. We think that we can't be honest with others because it will hurt their feelings. When, As long as you're not being cruel about it, you are not responsible for how other people respond to you. Um, so if you're just being authentic or, and having integrity with what is important to you, and they can't handle that, very common in families, um, that's not your situation or right? that's not your problem. And so because of this, we remain in a current of even just subtle non-truthfulness. Now, by truthfulness, I don't mean being cruel. I don't mean giving your opinion. You know, does this look good on me? And you just say, decide to say no, but that's just your opinion. I'm talking about real truth here, real important things let's let's take truthfulness, for example. Maybe all of a sudden you have a realization it doesn't even have to be in meditation, just because you're you're reading something, you're studying you you are engaged in the process uh, that tr- truthfulness is life, it is health. It is well-being. that When you tell the truth, you actually get stronger. And I'm not talking about kinesiology and that sort of thing, although I think it's kind of based on that. Um, But you you actually have more energy. And I was having a discussion with a teenager about this. Um, I think I've been a decent influence in her life and I've done my best to be as honest and direct with her as possible. If there's things I didn't like, I told her, and I told her why, and I wasn't uh, being cruel or malicious about it. And um, we have a good relationship, but she doesn't have a good relationship with her father at all, because he was quite a liar and manipulative and so on. And so um, somehow we got into the discussion of truth, and and, and, um, I said something, I think she misconstrued when really I was just trying to say something to to help her. Something that through my own experience that I knew that if she proceeded down that route where it was going to go. And um, I think she thought I was being judgmental of her when really I was just trying to tell her this is what's going to happen if you keep going down that route. And so I asked her, I said, have I ever lied to you? Um, She said, I don't think so. I was like, okay, well think about someone who has lied to you. How did they make you feel? And she gave this description of how I made her feel. And I said, have I ever made you feel that way? And she said, no. I said, well, then just maybe consider what I said as though that could be something true. And that led into a discussion of what it means to feel truth, to be able to recognize truth. And I told her, I said, um, you know, it's important to be truthful because if you're truthful, you're more likely to recognize truth, to know what truth is. And I said people who lie all the time tend to be confused, and she said, "You know what? You're right. It's like I said that, and then this thing clicked in her mind, and she understood. She thought about all the people that have manipulated to her and lied to her, and she said, they are confused people. They don't, they don't do what they say they're going to do. They don't stand up to their word. Um, you can't count on them. So this clicked in her mind that." that truth leads to lack of confusion. And that means truth in all situations in regards to who you are, as you know yourself to be right now, what you are about, what is important to you, what your boundaries are, what you stand for, um, as well as just not lying, just not overtly lying. Because the more you know what you are about, what your integrity is, hey, do you want to do this? Well, no, I really don't. But most people feel guilty for telling someone no, and so they make up some excuse, which is a lie, Um, or they go help them, which if they were in their truth, they would not be doing that because it wasn't important to them at this point in time. Um, That kind of integrity is important. So truth on all levels is important because once you are established in that, you have this realization that the more you remain centered in your own integrity, even if that means you're alone, even if that means that no one likes you, even if that means um, that you don't have anything useful to say anymore. Uh, if you are establishing your own integrity, you feel stronger, you are not confused, you feel healthier, you are able to recognize truth when you read it in spiritual texts, you're able to recognize the BS that people spew out at you about spiritual topics, and you're able to say that's BS, and you, you just move on. You have this realization in meditation, let's say, or you're walking down the street or you're studying the Yoga Sutras. This is why it's so important to be established in truth. You have a moment of expansion of consciousness because before you were still caught up in those little little lies or little things that society tells you are okay. <laughs> and that's why society is all confused, isn't it? But um, anyway, uh, and you have that realization that you need to be truthful all the time you need to be severe about your truth. Not severe as in cruel, but severe with yourself about admitting what is true and sticking to it, sticking to that truth. And you know that if you do this, that you won't be confused or very, you won't be very confused as much anymore. And a week goes by, you're like, yeah, I feel like I'm established in truth. But then halfway through the next week, some relatives come to visit And they start wanting you to do things or acting in a certain way, which is no longer true for you anymore. And you decide to either go along with it, which is breaking your own integrity, your truth diminishes, or you decide to make up some lies about why you don't want to do it. So even though you're not doing it, you're still lying about it. And so truth disintegrates. And then that snowball effect happens, and you're back where you started, back in a state of confusion where you no longer understand or can appreciate the current of truth until another realization comes along to, ah, pay attention this time. Eventually, you'll get it (laughs) one way or the other. But the reason people fail to make progress is because when they have a realization or an understanding about their life, and what it means to live a spiritual life, whether that means they got to get up out of bed and go for a run every morning, if that's useful for you, and they stop doing that, Um, they fail to make progress. Because you have to continue to live from the realization that you have. If you don't live from the realizations that come to you, you're not going anywhere. It's like running a business. Instead of growing your business, you're just spending money as quick as it comes in. So your business just stays the small business that can barely pay its bills versus if you are able to intelligently recognize, all right, I need to save a little bit of this, make sure I put my money in a good investment here, Um, say no to that person who wants money, say yes to this person, where you are doing it intelligently, eventually that business grows and grows and grows and grows until you don't have to run it anymore. It's so uh, self-sustaining that you've got wonderfully trustworthy employees you can go on vacation for six months and check in once a week and it's doing just fine. The same is true for your spiritual realization. Treat it like a business in a way. You want to do it intelligently. And as realizations come in, you want to make the most of those realizations rather than just wasting them. So in order to continue to make progress, real progress, you're not going to do it by just watching, as, as many of you have done over this course of the year, two years, uh, the Kree Yoga Apprenticeship videos once a week. You're not going to do it just by sitting there smiling in meditation um, once a day or twice a day. You're not going to do it uh, by going to the retreats or meeting as many spiritual people as you can. Those are supports and those are helpful but the only way that you continue to wake up and become clear is to continue to grow and cultivate that which comes to you, that which you realize. When, When you understand why Paramahansa Yogananda says what he said, when you understand why certain teachers discuss the importance of giving love, and you begin to realize that you give love in all circumstances, the best that you can, whether you want to or not, This helps the process grow. People who've become spiritually clear have done so because they've done the practical work. They've done the inner work and then they have grown into and made it real for them. um, Those things which spiritual people know that they've made it a part of their life. Now we've discussed this in the Kriyoga apprenticeship course already towards the end in the study of the Bhagavad Gita, but in, Chapter 16 of the Bhagavad Gita, um, Krishna relates characteristics which contribute to higher knowledge, right at the very beginning. These are fearlessness, purity of heart, abiding in yoga or samadhi along with knowledge, abiding in yoga samadhi along with knowledge charitable giving, self-restraint and holy offerings, study of sacred texts, discipline practice, uprightness, non-violence, truth, absence of anger, renunciation, serenity, freedom from finding fault, compassion for all beings, absence of cravings, gentleness, modesty, steadiness, vigor, forgiveness, fortitude, purity, freedom from malice and from pride. These are the endowments of those born to divine destiny. So this is the real work that we do here in this world, in this human body, in this life. So we've seen these different layers or levels of understanding, whereas in the beginning, it's mechanical. It's learn to sit still in meditation, learn to go within, to release attachments to distractions. Good first step. And of course, all these interrelate. So all of them contribute to each other. And in order to be able to sit in meditation quietly, we have to have gotten enough rest, manage our stress, manage our drama, eaten well, exercise. That contributes to our ability to sit down and do the interior work. Once we can do that interior work, then our life becomes ignited such that every moment we have the opportunity to practice These things, fearlessness, purity of heart, nonviolence, truth, absence of anger, renunciation, serenity, that is the real work. All these things combined, all these things combined. But the reason so many people stall out in their spiritual practice is because they're like, yeah, great. I'm going to do some hatha yoga. I'm going to eat a bunch of salads. I'm going to cut out the drama in my life and I'm going to sit there quietly in meditation every day. That's going to do it. But when it comes down to, wait a minute, I'm afraid of something, they stay afraid. They don't decide, I need to work through this. I need to develop faith and get through fearlessness. If they have issues in their life where they don't have integrity, where they're not able to tell the truth, where they're not able to be true with who they are and what they're about, because you are given this mind-body personality for a reason. It is an aspect of the divine wholeness. It is the, an aspect of, it is a facet of the wholeness of consciousness. So you need to be true to it, That's why you have to work on the interior and exterior level. So if there are certain things, well, I don't need to be truthful about that because that would hurt someone's feelings and I don't want to rock the boat. Well, they're not engaging in yoga practice. If they have malice towards someone or something, even if it seems justified, that is not doing Kriya Yoga. If they allow that to be there, if they have pride about something, you get the idea. Though that list of characteristics that has to be engaged in order for you to really understand what Mahavatar Babaji, Hiri Messiah, Sri Yukteswar, Paramahansa Yogananda, Roy Davis, Ramana Maharshi, Shiva Pari Baba, anyone who has a level of sense about them, what they knew and what they did. If you want to know that for real, that has to be taken seriously. Otherwise, (sighs) you're doing some good. It's not bad. Eventually you'll come to what I just described to you, eventually. But how much time do you want to waste? How long do you want to be in jail? (laughs) Do you just want to, do you want to be in a little bit less maximum security jail? Or do you want to get out of jail? (laughs) So by learning to do all these things at once, you are going through the work of freeing yourself from this samsara, this karma, so that you can be free versus what most people do, which is, I'm going to do enough so that I just leave maximum security prison, prison to go into uh, low security where I can hang out outside and play cards and it's not so stressful. But they never really want to get all the way out. <laughs> so in order to continue to make progress, in order to really, truly make the most of this process, you have to be merciless with yourself. Not cruel, not vindictive, not spiteful, not mean, not punishing yourself. Some people have these issues. They feel like they need to punish themselves. But you need to be honest about the work that needs done and just simply decide that you're going to do it. And people who've done things like participate in martial arts or boxing or other, uh, other challenges where you're, you, you, you learn that grit, you learn that toughness to get up, you're going to tend to be better at it versus people who've just looked for the easy way out in life or who have gone through difficult circumstances and just buckled and gave up. I realize some things are extremely hard in life, but you get up, you always get back up. As long as you are living and breathing, you continue to do the work that is put before you. And that work will tend to revolve around um, one of these qualities and characteristics that we've listed. Vigor was one of them. Well, many people are lazy, aren't they? So where did it go? Yeah, vigor is one of them. What is vigor? It means you get up and you might not feel like doing something, but you do it. And you find a way to find the passion and the drive to do it well and to do it right, to do it with intention. And if you can do all of these things with a sense of intention, meaning you know that this all contributes to um, a holistic well-being. And every day you affirm that. You're more likely to keep doing it. You're more likely to continue. But ultimately... If you're interested in in doing this work, do the work. Don't just do a little bit, really decide you're going to do it. Learn to move more fully into this moment. Because if you're able to be in this moment, you are more easily able to recognize when you need to attend to one of these qualities or characteristics. Because, because human nature is, or animal nature more so, I don't want to call this human nature. I think it's more of an animal nature. Animal nature is to uh, want to do something and kind of be done with it in a way. Well, maybe it's lazy human nature because animals keep doing what they need to do. So lazy human nature. Lazy human nature tends to kind of want to reach a certain point and be done with it. But in order to be alive, really alive and awake to truth, you are appropriate to every moment, which means you don't think once I get to that blissful state or that calm state, yeah, that'll be it. That'll be a part of it. But as you're going through this process, everything that arises in your consciousness is an opportunity to practice Maybe you have a worried mentality, you worry a lot. Well, one of the qualities listed in chapter 16 of the Gita is serenity. So if you have a tendency to worry a lot, you have a lot of opportunities to begin practicing serenity. And you figure out a way to do that however you can. Because people can practice meditation their entire life and still be worriers, still be concerned about things. Because they've not actively made the intention or the choice or tried to imagine okay right now i'm just going to choose to be serene because when you start to do that what happens all of the weird neurotic mental reasons come into your mind about well you can't be serene because of this what if this happens what if that happens well that is the opportunity to say okay i've learned to be focused in meditation i've learned to withdraw my awareness from distractions these thoughts are distractions right now So I'm going to use that skill to now practicing for as long as I can. Even if it's just two minutes, I'm just going to be serene and let it all go. And then as life goes on, you learn to extend that. You learn to grow that. So so as you see, these these disciplines as listed in the Gita, this is part of the, the wholeness of the practice of Kriya Yoga. And when we do all of these things, when we do all of these things, What is happening? We are beginning to embody physically, mentally, emotionally, uh, a state of love and coherence. I don't know if it's possible to be measured right now. Maybe it is, but we have this amazing system within our body, this brain, this nervous system, And it's like an antenna, and it it generates electricity, and it creates a field. It's just, it's an amazing system. It allows us to process consciousness. And this is one of the reasons why so many meditation techniques focus on the chakras, moving up through the spine, through the nervous system. Pranayama, which circulates or circulates our imagination or our attention or our electrical activity through the nervous system and brain. All of this is harmonizing that system such that it is, in a sense, humming perfectly and everything's vibrating. I was having a discussion with one of the Kriyoga apprenticeship students today, um, right before meditation, uh, because he lives in the area. And on Mondays um, we get together and meditate. So he decided to come over for this. Um, every, he mentioned how everything vibrates. Everything's moving, everything's always in motion. And when we attend internally to making our body as healthy as we can, that helps to balance out this nervous system, this fine antenna, processor of consciousness. When we meditate, we are, again, developing this nervous system, developing our capacity to appreciate consciousness. When we are practicing these disciplines in the Bhagavad Gita, those, in order to do that, the structure of our brain and our endocrine system has to be in a certain state for us to do that. And when we have resistance to doing that, it's because the anatomy or the cellular level or the neurological level of, of this system, it, they're not linked up right to make that happen. And that just makes sense. In order to be truthful, there have to be certain connections within the brain to allow you to be truthful. So once you have those connections, then you're gonna feel that difference. So all of this is creating this system which will hum, in a sense, in harmony with the whole, in harmony with the eternal. And once you catch that, it's like turning the dial on a radio, if you remember how to do that. When you turn the dial on a radio and you get a little bit of static and a little bit of static, and then finally you catch the channel and you got to turn it back a little bit to get it just right until finally it's a clear signal. Well, by doing all this stuff within within these practices, by living in this way, you are turning that dial until finally one day, poof, you're going to have it. You're going to hit that frequency that is aligned with the wholeness and the system will be humming appropriately so that you can appreciate it and that is love because when you have a healthy body when you have a healthy mind when you have a healthy understanding of realization when you can when you know how to act naturally in these ways described you are you are in that state and that is palpable that is why when you are around people who are considered spiritually predisposed or have done this, if you are receptive to it, you feel better. You feel clearer. You feel freer because it's almost like it is giving you a little bit of sympathetic resonance that you you catch a little bit of it too. But your job is not to just sympathetically resonate with someone else all the time. Your job is to do this such that your system, that aura or that field Um, that your body is generating is that love. And then your job is to maintain that for the duration that this body is alive. And when that's done, well, it doesn't really matter (laughs) for you. (laughs) But that is the work that we are doing. And that is why it is work, because we live in a world where it's not common. And so you will find that when you get around certain people, that you're, if you start to resonate with them and their system isn't attuned to this, you will tend to act like them or you will tend to feel their depression or you will tend to feel their anxiety or you will tend to feel their confusion. And then you start going in that direction too. But what we're doing is we're becoming centered within the self so that becomes so stable, so strong that it doesn't budge, that it is always in that state of resonance with this uh, love and this attention to uh, Realization of the wholeness. And then no matter what circumstance you're, circumstance you're in, you maintain that. Because every opportunity that comes along that makes you feel like you're getting knocked out of that, that is just an opportunity to see where you need to do more work, where you need to become solid in that. It's like your principles. Uh, if you've got strong principles, it doesn't matter who you're talking to what they're saying, you know what your principle is. You can say, sorry, I don't believe that. No, okay, fine, now I'm done talking, get out of here. And there's no sense of guilt, there's no sense of shame because you know what your principles are. Uh, the same happens with this state of consciousness that Kriya Yoga does for you. Eventually, you know what is real and what is true. You know what it feels like to exist in that harmony and you also appreciate and know why it is so important to do whatever it takes to stay there. Because every opportunity that feels like it's knocking you out of it is just an opportunity to show you where strength needs to be developed more until eventually the strength doesn't need to be developed because it is just your innate natural expression of this infinite consciousness. So this is why we have to attend to all these things. And this is what the practice of any spiritual process is really about. We're just talking about Kriya Yoga here because that's what works for us. That is our our preferred route um, through this. This episode of the Kriya Yoga podcast was made possible by donations from Kriya Yoga apprenticeship students and supporters of our Patreon community at www.patreon.com forward slash Kriya Yoga.